Welcome to the High Fidelity Podcast. I am your host, Bridget Conry, coming to you from the dialed studio at Hula on the shores of beautiful Lake Champlain in Burlington, Vermont. In today's episode, we share with you one of our favorite podcasts, The Nourished Nervous System, with holistic life coach and Ayurvedic educator, Kristen Timchak. In her latest episode, she addresses sub-quality sleep, how we tend to normalize it, and some small steps that we can take to improve our sleep hygiene. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome back to the High Fidelity Podcast. We are taking the week off and creating our own content to focus on adding cannabis to our new menu of products at Lucky You. Yes! In last month's Cannabis Control Board meeting, we were approved for a retail license. We will soon be stocking our favorite Vermont cannabis brands, including Rebel Grown, Motherflower, Monarch in the Milkweed, Clover Hill Cannabis, Island Pond Cannabis Company, and Craft Cannabis of Vermont, to name a few. That's more like several, but we'll go with it. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on our progress. We've dropped links in the show notes. In the meantime, our store is now open to the general public and full of wonderful items to support your self-care routine or to gift your friends and family this holiday season. All right. Speaking of self-care, let's turn to the topic of sleep. Sleep, along with anxiety, are the two topics that we discuss the most with folks in our community. It seems like everyone these days is looking for a product to help them improve these states of being. While products can be part of the solution, the truth is they are just that, a piece of the puzzle. To truly get to the source of subquality sleep and increased anxiety, which often exist together, we need to assess our lifestyle and environment first and then gradually take steps to change them to meet our goals. Oftentimes, our earth medicine allies can be of great service, but we cannot rely on them alone. For one, when we try to, and they don't give us the results we were expecting on the schedule we would like, we risk losing confidence in powerful tools that are foundational in a long-term integrative approach to wellness. And two, in those instances where plants do provide us with profound immediate experiences, we may come to depend on them for comfort, relief, or escape. Personally, I think we have to be very careful with cannabis in this regard. She is a powerful medicine, especially in the forms available to us today. Ultimately, dependence causes imbalance in ourselves, in our communities, and in nature. One of my favorite quotes on this topic is by internationally renowned medical herbalist David Hoffman. He said, quote, It is a therapeutic and moral mistake to use herbal remedies to relieve our physical and psychological distress if we are going to return to our usual alienated lives and continue in patterns of thought, behavior, work, and culture that are themselves the source of the dis-ease. We are at home on this planet. We only have to recognize it. 
Through their powers to alleviate the very ills of humanity, herbal remedies provide a clue, a signpost to this reality. We are part of a wonderfully integrated whole, end quote. Kristen Timchak talks about this concept as well in her podcast episode we are sharing with you today. Let's back up just for a moment to give my relationship with Kristen some context. Kristen is a friend of mine. I met her in 2009 when I was participating in the Farm to Pharmacy program that we discussed with founder William Siff back in episode 34. She was on my Tuesday farm crew and later joined my kitchen team for the seasonal intensives. Between then and now, Kristen has grown her practice to include being a holistic life coach, Ayurvedic educator, mind-body practitioner, and mother circle facilitator. And as of this past summer, she is also the creator and host of the Nourished Nervous System podcast. In her latest episode, she encourages us to avoid the trap of normalizing sub-quality sleep. Our culture pushes us in this direction almost incessantly, and stopping to reflect on the activities that are contributing to our current state of sleep can be, as Kristen says, kind of a bummer, because some of them are activities that we enjoy, our use of stimulants like caffeine, our alcohol consumption, or staying up late to binge our new favorite show. Giving up something you like is rarely motivating. That is why I always like to talk about adding in beneficial practices first to move the needle instead of taking away. Once you start to feel the positive impact of new routines, it is easier to give up things you once depended on. In the best case scenario, they start to fall away without noticeable discomfort. And as Kristen reminds us, these activities are not inherently good or bad. It's about balance, and every person will define what that looks like for them. If you are new to Ayurveda, there may be some terms in here that you are unfamiliar with. Yay! New learning! But don't get bogged down in them here and now. Let them wash over you like a sound bath. Kristen has a soothing voice and a very personal touch to her teachings. Trust that the info is being integrated into your subconscious. And know that Kristen has a library of past episodes that you can explore to learn more when you are ready. All right. We're delighted that Kristen has given us permission to share her podcast with you on our platform. So without further ado, we present The Nourished Nervous System with Kristen Timchak. Welcome to The Nourished Nervous System, an exploration of stress, the nervous system, and transformative self-care practices for parents and other humans through the lenses of Ayurveda, holistic coaching, somatic practices, herbs, and much, much more. I'm the host, Kristen Timchak, a holistic life coach, Ayurvedic educator, herbalist, and mother of a tiny human. Please join me for information, insight, deep thoughts, and small steps to help you nourish your nervous system. Hello, sweet friend. Welcome and welcome back to the Nourish Nervous System. This week, I'm going to talk about sleep. I've honestly been putting this off because there's just so much information about sleep out there and some of it's conflicting and also talking about what you need to do to get a good night of sleep can be a bit of a bummer because it often involves less screen time and less stimulants and alcohol. And these are all fun things, but aren't necessarily beneficial for sleep. And I think because of this, that similarly to digestion, 
A lot of people normalize less than optimal sleep. I know I have. Sometimes it's been so long since you've really had a truly good sleep that you aren't even aware that the sleep you're having is not good. But before I get more into it, I want to give my friendly disclaimer that this podcast is purely for entertainment and educational purposes and should not be considered health or mental health advice. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. Okay, so first off, I want to say, and I say this all the time, but that every body is different. We all have different needs for sleep. So instead of adhering to a preset amount of hours you should sleep, listen to your body. It's not just about how long you sleep, but how deeply you sleep and how you move through different sleep cycles and when you sleep. What's important is how you feel. When you wake up, are you rested? Do you have energy without caffeine? The amount of sleep you need is also going to change seasonally and depending on what is going on in your life and your health. I definitely sleep more in the winter and have needed much more sleep while working with my autoimmune disease. And if you are a parent of a baby or a very young child, just hold on and do the best you can. I feel like all sleep rules are off during that time period, especially if you are the only night parent and you're just trying to survive. So if you're in that stage, know that it does get better. You will sleep again. So... I read a little bit about this theory around sleep. It's these four sleep chronotypes by Dr. Michael Bruce. And it's based on the idea that evolutionarily, when we were living more hunter-gatherer types of structures, there were people that stayed up through the night to protect the tribe. And so this has been genetically passed down. And there are people whose circadian rhythm is opposite of most folks. And in his theory, he has four animal sleep types or the chronotypes. And these people, he, the people who suffer from chronic insomnia and just don't sleep well during the night, he calls these people dolphins. They have very, very light sleep and don't ever seem to kind of go into those deeper phases of sleep. He also talks about wolves who have a more nighttime oriented rhythm. If you think about wolves and they hunt at night. Bears, which are about 50% of the adult population, and they need a lot of sleep, but often have inconsistent sleep patterns, but they're on a more solar schedule, meaning they're the most awake and productive during the middle part of the day. And since this is such a big chunk of the population, this is the dominant and socially acceptable sleep pattern. There are also lions that are the super early to bed, early to rise type. I think I'm more of a lion. So Our culture is set up around bear time. We work and do things during the day and sleep at night. But for folks whose sleep rhythms are wired differently, this means that they often don't get enough sleep, especially if they're working more traditional jobs. And I am no expert on the chronotypes. I read a couple articles. I'm sure it's very nuanced and I'm not going to get into the nuances of it, but I just think it's a really interesting theory. And it's just a good reminder that everyone is different and that there are always outliers and people who are wired differently and have a different blueprint. And that sometimes the structure of our society that tries to put everyone into a little box makes it more difficult for those people to honor their natural rhythms. So I just wanted to say that. And 
that whatever information I give you on sleep, take with a grain of salt. If you are functioning well on the amount of sleep you are getting and your sleep routines feel good and you feel energized and rested without stimulants, then keep doing that. If you're a dolphin or a wolf type of person and you found that working nights is the best way to support your life and sleep patterns and you feel good, you feel rested and energized, then keep doing that. Listen to your body. But if you're waking up exhausted and feel depleted and burnt out, there could be some things that you can tweak to get better sleep. So from an Ayurvedic perspective, each dosha has a different relationship with sleep. Vata is a more subtle, mobile light dosha. It's made up of air and space. So Vata people tend to have light interrupted sleep. And when there's an excess of Vata, they'll often wake up between 2 and 6 a.m., which is what we call Vata insomnia, because that's the Vata time of, of day. Vata people tend to sleep less, but they actually do need a decent amount of sleep to truly thrive. Pitta folks tend to sleep well, but often lightly. Pitta's fire and water, so they can tend to overheat while sleeping. They also tend to have a hard time falling asleep, especially if they try to go to sleep between the hours of 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., as that is the Pitta time of day. So remember, like increases like and opposites balance. So more, if you have more Pitta, you're going to sleep during the Pitta time. There's just an excess of Pitta. Kapha is earth and water, And kapha folks tend to sleep heavy and long. Think mud, think heaviness. Sleep is ruled by kapha. When they are imbalanced, they can tend toward too much sleep and feeling dull and heavy upon waking, especially if they wake up between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m., which is the kapha time of day. So the more vata, whether in your constitution, whether in your imbalances or in your environment, the harder it becomes to sleep in that deep way. Vata is also related to the nervous system. So if vata is high, your nervous system is more stimulated. The more kapha, the easier it will be to sleep. Kapha is heavy and slow. It's what is needed to slow down. So if you listen to the episode on vata, you may remember me talking about how in our modern world, there's already just an excess of vata because of the way we're living. It's just part of living in this world. And so the more you can think about reducing vata, the more that will affect your sleep in a positive way. And on kind of a different but related note, more and more we're hearing about circadian rhythms and circadian medicine, which is so cool because it's like the science is catching up to what Ayurveda has been saying for thousands of years that there are certain times of day that certain things are happening in our bodies. Circadian rhythms are 24-hour cycles that are part of the body's internal clock. We often think about the sleep-wake circadian rhythm when we talk about it, but there's lots of different circadian rhythms in the body, including hormonal activity, digestion, immune function, and temperature. But for the purposes of this episode on sleep, we'll focus on the sleep-wake cycle. So there's a dance of hormones that happens each day in your body, and the two stars for sleep and wake cycles are cortisol and melatonin. And each of these has its own natural wave or rhythm in the body that's affected by primarily by the sun. So cortisol 
increases in the morning and makes you feel more awake, your body temperature increases and gets you going for the day. Getting out in the sunlight within an hour after waking helps to reset your circadian clock. And it also increases an early day cortisol release. What I've seen is people recommending getting out for, you know, 30 minutes, which is great if you have the space to do that, to go for a walk or something like that in the morning. I know in my life right now, I often don't have that space. So I just do the best I can. I I stand out on my deck for five to 15 minutes and just try to get the light into my eyes. Cortisol has its own diurnal rhythm in your body. It should increase in the morning, giving you energy and focus and decrease in the evening as the sun goes down. And then as it gets darker, melatonin begins to increase, preparing the body and mind for sleep. And melatonin tends to peak between 2 and 4 a.m. and then decreases as it starts to get more light. So getting good sleep is not only about what you do right before sleep, but how you set up your day. So there was this cool study that was done about 10 years ago by the University of Colorado where they tracked a group of people with who had normal sleep patterns. They weren't having sleep difficulties and who had pretty normal lives, working and spending a lot of time indoors under artificial light. And they tested, they followed them through their lives for a week or so, and they tested their melatonin levels every hour while they're in their normal day-to-day lives. Then the same group of people spent a week camping in the mountains where the only light that they had was sun and campfires in the evenings. What they found was that they got the same amount of sleep, but they started going to bed earlier and waking earlier. When their melatonin was retested after the camping trip, it had shifted by almost two hours earlier, and they were sleeping and waking an hour earlier. So they were becoming more in tune with their circadian rhythm. This was a small study, but there's been a lot of progress in this field, and we know that our sleep cycles are greatly affected by light. That's why sleep hygiene recommends turning off screens at least an hour before bedtime. Having exposure to that light, especially the blue light that screens give off, gives your body signals that it's still daytime. So from an Ayurvedic view, it also increases vata, which makes it harder to sleep. So I'm going to tell you a little story about how I really connected to my circadian rhythm. So before my son was born, I lived off grid for a couple years. I was in California and living about 45 minutes out of town and 15 minutes down this long, gnarly dirt road. And we lived at the very, very end of the road on the edge of a river canyon. And there were some other houses on the road. It was a sweet community of some back-to-the-land folks that moved out there in the 70s and some other folks. But besides those people, we were living on the edge of wilderness. I mean, I really had the feeling that of being a visitor in this land of wild creatures. Our house was not insulated and we could hear everything at night. The screech owls and foxes barking and sometimes mountain lions screeching, which I had two little kitties. So sometimes that was really a little stressful, but And there wasn't electric lines on the road. There wasn't even option for grid. And there wasn't a huge solar system at our house. So we could run lights in our phones and computers, but had to run the generator if we wanted to use the blender or vacuum. The house was totally quirky and cute and not super comfortable, but it had tons and tons of natural light. 
walls of windows and skylights and the electric lights we had were just not very bright. We also didn't have internet or good cell phone service. So we were really living very simply and with the seasons and the days. And one of the first things I noticed when we first went to look at the place, as soon as I got out of the car, I could tangibly feel my nervous system relax. It's like that feeling like if you've ever done a big backpacking trip or a camping trip or hiked a mountain, that feeling you get when you're just far away from the buzz of our society. And there's something about being so far from any electric grid source that the difference was really notable. So those years living there, I was also farming. I ran a small herbal CSA and we grew a small cannabis garden. And so I was waking up with the sun and getting outside. And in the evenings I would knit or read or maybe watch a movie that I got from the library on DVD, but I wasn't on my computer or phone all that much. And I slept so well there, probably the best sleep I've had in my life which was good because when we moved from there, I had my son, which would enter me into a couple years of the worst sleep I ever had in my life. But even though I no longer live off grid and no longer farm, I do carry some of the lessons I learned. I try and get sun or natural light first thing in the morning. I also dim the lights in my house in the evening to start to wind down. And we unplug the internet before going to sleep. I also turn my phone onto airplane mode. So I think of getting ready to sleep as a gradual decelerating process. If you're going full force in your day and then all of a sudden it's time for bed and you expect your body and brain to just come to a full stop, it's going to be really difficult. You're going to have a hard time sleeping. But if you can give yourself cues and signals and do things to help you slow down, it can be helpful. The other thing I've done, which was... The hardest part for me was not using screens before bed. I've mentioned before in other episodes that I love shows, but I was really finding that watching things before bed was affecting the quality and the quantity of my sleep. So I stopped and I didn't notice the difference right away, but after a couple of weeks to a month, I really noticed my sleep change. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's when my son was about two and a half. And I started getting really serious about self-care and sleep. So for me, my path with all of this has been a bit more extreme. I was in such a place of burnout and sleep deficit that I really needed to be strict on this stuff. I've also used herbs to support my sleep for a long time. And I'd like to talk more about herbs and sleep, but I feel like that's a whole other episode. Another thing I did for my sleep was I listened to yoga nidra meditations before bed and other meditations or meditation music. And I actually have a yoga nidra inspired deep rest meditation that you can listen to on my website at www.nourishednervoussystem.com slash deep rest. Sometimes when we get so exhausted and burnt out, even though you may feel tired, it's actually more difficult to sleep and you may need to do things to nourish and support your nervous system to get back into the healthy sleep patterns. And it can take a little while. Remember, however far you've walked into the woods, you have to walk that far out. I do want to say though, a little win from my life is that the past few nights, I haven't taken herbs to help me sleep. 
and I've been sleeping really well, which for me is my ideal relationship with herbal allies. I like to use them to help my body get to a certain state, to remind my body how to rest, how to sleep, but at the same time, work on the lifestyle stuff so that eventually my body just knows how to rest and sleep again and I don't need the herbs. And I've admittedly needed them for a long time and may need them again at some point, but there was a time where I couldn't imagine trying to go to sleep without them. And so this just shows the resilience of our bodies, the consistency and care we can change and adapt. Okay, so let's circle back to Ayurveda. In Ayurvedic thought, it's best to go to sleep before 10 p.m., as 10 p.m. is the beginning of pitta time, so it's a more stimulating time. And before 10 p.m. is kapha time, which is a heavier, more sleep-inducing time. So if you've ever had a second wind after 10 p.m., it's because you've entered into pitta time. In the mornings, Ayurveda recommends rising before 6 a.m. Between 2 and 6 is vata time, which is a lighter, more subtle time. And after 6 a.m., it's kapha time again, which is heavy. If you've ever had insomnia where you wake up in the wee hours only to fall asleep again around 6 a.m., that's because you've moved from vata time to kapha time. So Ayurveda recommends having a routine of waking and sleeping at the same time every day. Routine helps to balance vata dosha. And if we're looking at sleep from an Ayurvedic perspective, we also want to do things to help calm vata dosha. So a warm oil massage before bed or oiling your feet or head can be really grounding. I have a guide to a self-abhyanga or Ayurvedic oil massage on my website at www.nourishnervousystem.com slash oil. Also, having a cup of warm milk with ashwagandha, cardamom, nutmeg, and dates can be a grounding, nourishing bedtime ritual. Oh yeah, and stimulants and alcohol. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, these things affect sleep. I know there are a lot of people that feel they can't make it through the day without caffeine, but just remember that it isn't free energy. It's an energetic credit card, and at some point you will need to pay it back. So if you feel you need to drink caffeine, try to do other things throughout the day to counterbalance it and nourish your nervous system. And like everything else, it depends on your own particular constitution and imbalances. Some folks, especially kapha individuals, can handle more stimulants than others. And if you're one of those people that can't handle them but love them, I feel you. I loved caffeine. I overrode the listening of my body because I loved it so much but my constitution just can't handle it. And so sadly, it's no longer a part of my life. But it isn't totally sad because I do feel so much better and I sleep so much better. It was definitely a hard month when I first stopped, but it does get better. And also, if you're really struggling with sleep, I recommend seeing some sort of practitioner to get the individual guidance that's going to help you in your specific situation. So there's so much more that could be said about sleep. I think I'm going to save it for future episodes. I just want to end by saying don't normalize subquality sleep. It's really so important for all aspects of health, unless you have a new baby or a small child, because then you don't really have that much of a choice. But remember that you are your own ancestor. How you take care of your body and mind and spirit now affects your health and longevity in the years to come. 
You may not feel the effects of poor sleep right now, but it does add up over time. So for your small step this week, try one thing to help attune you to your circadian sleep-wake cycle. Get sunlight in your eyes first thing in the morning or dim your lights in the evening or turn off screens at least an hour before bed. And know that this takes time. You may not notice a difference overnight. No pun intended. Okay, have a great week. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks go out to my creative crew at High Fidelity, Olaf Willoughby and Shane Lynn, and to the team at Syntax in Motion for producing this show. A special shout out to Will Davis, my sound engineer. Thanks to you for listening to us today. If you enjoy what you heard, subscribe on our website, hi5vt.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Better yet, like, share, rate, or leave a comment. You can request topics or interviews for our show by emailing us at bewell at hi5vt.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, be well and have fun out there.